0: This is Moral of the Story. Interesting people telling their favorite short stories and then breaking them down to understand what makes them so good. I'm your host, Max Cipofsky. Today's guest is Craig Vodnik, a co-founder of Clever Bridge, a full-service e-commerce platform for software and subscription model businesses. He bootstrapped the business for the first two years until it became profitable in 2007. Craig loves to tell stories, having done so as a mentor at many tech incubators around Chicago and probably to some of the companies he invests in through Hyde Park Angels. Being a music lover and a fan of vinyl and classic gear, he has a 1965 Grundig KS620 stereo console in his office and even founded the Hi-Fi Clinic, which bills itself as the, quote, finest recovery, restoration, and studio clinic since the Reagan administration. And... Wherever there's music, there's usually a party. Accurate correlation for Craig, who throws summer soirees for Chicago's tech community on the rooftop deck of his office, where incidentally, I'm sure he's heard and told plenty of good stories. Craig, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Max. Great to be here, and nice to have you in in my office to do this.
0: Right. One of few right now with what's happening outside. So you're here to tell us a story. Set the stage. What should we know before you get into it?
1: Yeah. So I would say, um, you know, we've talked a little bit beforehand. I mean, I am an introvert, so, uh, I'm typically not somebody that would share a personal story. It would be more on the business side, but, uh, given this story that happened fairly recently, I thought this was a really good one to tell because of the conversations we've had in the, in the past and thinking about telling stories. And so in this story, I've thought a lot about this over the last eight months. And so it's helped me to really um, understand better my own storytelling skills and and style. Yeah, so this is a this is a very personal story that I can guarantee you. A year or two ago, I would not have said to I wouldn't even told a lot of my employees. But here I am recording it for you today.
0: Wow, that's powerful. All right, tell me a story.
1: Yeah, so my brother died earlier this year, and uh, you know he was fifty two. I hadn't spoken with him in twenty years the last time we met was across a table with lawyers on either side. So why were we in that office? Well, my mom had died at 53, you know, 25 years ago. And so we were, we were settling her estate. And by that point, we were not really friends. It was not always that way. We had grown up very um, close. Uh, We did everything together, Dungeons and Dragons and played baseball and He's actually, you know, we rode our bikes around town. He was the reason I got into computers. He's also the reason that I had decided to take German in high school because he had taken it. So, um, you know, we had fallen apart. And, and after my mom had passed, uh, we were not on speaking terms anymore. So about nine months ago, after 20 years, I got a, a voicemail that he had terminal cancer. And so it really kind of tore me up because I had this anger in me for a long time, towards him. And, uh, it was so bad that obviously I have been married or got married since he and I had stopped talking and my wife of 13 years hardly had ever heard me talk about him. So we were really, you know, at, at loggerheads and, and just had no interest in talking to each other. So I get this phone call or I got this voicemail and, um, I had to sort of reconcile the past with the present and I spent a lot of time over about six or eight weeks where I was really struggling with what to do because if he's only going to be around for a period of time, how do I handle this? Well, should I go see him? Is it the right thing to do? Should I just ignore it and, and let it go? And so I was on a, on a delayed flight out of New York in November and I I was really stressed about that and I was struggling with the whole situation with my brother. And so I had decided though that I was going to write down some something so that I could share it. Maybe just help get my thoughts together, but share it later on. And on that flight, I, I had a, uh, the stress level was so high that I finally had a breakthrough. And I realized the hate that I had was really unjustified at this point. And I should instead focus on those early years, the first 15 or 20 years when we were, when we were brothers. So I, I put down all my thoughts on, uh, on paper and I, I wrote this uh, this article and uh, that I was going to publish after he died. I shared it with a few friends when I got got back to Chicago um, just to get their take on it. I got some feedback on it, again, hence the storytelling part. And then I was kind of like set. Well, he kept deteriorating and I would get updates. And then eventually he went into the hospital at, at the turn of the year. So around New Year's Day, when that happened, I realized, OK, this is it. I have my choice now of do I ever go and see him uh, or how do I end this? And I, I just made the decision at that moment, OK, I'm going to print out what I had written so that he can see it before he goes. And uh, and that's like the minimum that I could do. So one night I decided in, in early January to drive out to the hospital in the suburbs and show and, and give him the letter or drop the letter off. My whole intent in my mind was just leave the letter there for him. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to go in the room, get to the hospital, go into the, the, the wing where he is. And um, the... Nurse comes over, asks me, you know, if she can help me. I say who I am and I ask how he's doing. She's like, well, I can't can't give you any information. Um, I said, so can I leave this letter with you? She's like, oh, don't you want to see him? I was like, ah, we haven't talked in 20 years. It's not a good idea, I don't think. No, are you sure? You don't want to see him? So uh, finally, I'm like, no, I think it's a bad idea. Can you just give him the letter? And she she then did something really smart and she said, how about I ask him if he wants to see you since you're here. And I thought for about 10 seconds, I was just frozen thinking about what to do. And finally I said, okay, go ahead and ask him. She goes in the room, I hear her talk and she comes back out and she's like, uh, he said that he does want to see you. And he perked up when I mentioned your name, which was really a surprise for me. So after 20 years, here's somebody, right. Who's, you know, facing a difficult situation, but obviously he's, he's okay with seeing me. So I stood there for a couple minutes, I was sweating. You know i had my jacket on i just i could feel it on my back and after two minutes you know thinking what do i say to him what's the first words i'm gonna say to this guy so finally they come out and say okay you can go in and see him and like i usually do i wing it and so i walked in in the hospital room and i saw him there he was face down on his stomach and i said hey I, I, looks like you're in a tough spot and as I i walked a little closer he reached his arm up to try to shake my hand And he said, um, he said, I've been waiting for you and I miss mom. And obviously, you know, I wasn't expecting any of that. So I I said, hey, I miss her too. And and I love you, which is, again, something I wouldn't have said to him even a year or two earlier. So we spoke for about an hour and a half. We talked a few more times that month. Uh, I saw him one more time and then he passed away. I then published, obviously, what, the words that I had given him and he had told me uh, at, in one of our subsequent calls that he read the thing and he thought it was great, which made me feel surprisingly good that I ended it in, a, in the best way I could, given the circumstances, and, um, and you know, he knew how I felt.
0: Oh, that's so powerful. Was he the one that called you?
1: No, it was my dad. And I hadn't, seen, hadn't talked to my dad in 20 years either there was a lot going on at that time and a lot of stuff I was, uh, figuring out or reconciling with. And, you know, my mom, when she had died, I immediately went into battle with my brother. And so I realized now I didn't deal with that situation at the time. I kind of went right into battle mode. And when everything happened with my brother, that's when it I realized, I mean, I couldn't believe how emotional I was, and uh, it was just all those things coming together that I was trying to sort out in my head. Fortunately, now I think I'm in a better spot.
0: Do you remember walking down that hallway to his room? What was going through your mind?
1: Um, it reminded me of 1997 when I did the same thing to the hospital. when, when I found out my mom was that sick. It's one of those things you never forget, right? You can remember all these details, and you know, it just, in spite of the way that we were over the last twenty years, I was proud to be, you know, to to be there and to have him acknowledge me and be uh, be a human. You know, he was my brother. He is my brother. So, um, yeah. I mean, I drove home after meeting him that my brother that first night, and I told my wife when I got home, I'm like. I, I don't remember the drive home. I was just reprocessing over and over and over again that section I just told you. I just reprocessed and and was going over. What did he say? What did I say? What was, you know, what else is in there? And it was just like, um I got home at eleven thirty. I cracked open a beer, and I'm like, wow, i have a I have a story to tell you. And I told my wife the whole the whole story. so it was crazy
0: it It's almost like all of the attention that you would have paid him over the course of those 20 years had been compressed into that hour because of how well you remember the sound your shoes made on the floor, for example.
1: Yeah. You know, it's all the little things, right? It's just like, you know, you just don't remember the way. Like, I, I couldn't believe how much of a Chicago accent he had. Like, I just didn't remember that and uh, you know it's like the facial kind of things and how much he had changed and how much older he looked than than he was but his blue eyes just like mine and you know my mom so it was it's all those little things that um you know that i'll just never forget and and uh, the tv and what was on the tv and you know how the room was situated and you know just that all that emotion was um yeah, it was something it was something
0: so what's the moral of the story for you
1: I think, you know, and and I wrote this in in this um, letter that I wrote to him, and I published it, so it's on my Medium blog. Basically, like, is it worth it to carry that hate for that long? Isn't it better to, you know, say, wait a second, maybe I should just, you know, reach out to somebody. And it doesn't even have to be, like, that bad. But there's people in your life that you no longer talk to for most likely some really dumb reasons. Is it worth it? Do you want to be in that situation where it's an end of life decision and you're now trying to make amends or should you kind of suck it up a little bit and maybe they're gonna be a jerk a bit and you can push them, but is it worth it to just carry that grudge and that hate for that long? And I think the answer is no.
0: Right, like generally, it's most likely to not be as bad as you thought. And if it is, then you can rest easy knowing that at least you found out.
1: Or at least you tried even if the other person doesn't want to reciprocate, you've tried. And so you can rest easy to go, Hey, I did what I, I did what I could do. If the other person doesn't want to doesn't want to dance with you, that's fine. But at least you tried and you know, that's worth something. That's worth some peace of mind.
0: For sure. It is. Why is this? Why did you choose to tell this story?
1: Um, like I said, you know, I'm an introvert. I, uh, would not have dared tell something like this even to, like I wouldn't have, I, I didn't even tell my wife about this kind of stuff with my brother and you know, everything. And I've really changed as I've gotten older. I've also, I'm, I've turned 50. And so my mom at 53, my brother at 52. And I was thinking about, Hey, wait a second, do I, am I going to be the next one to go life's short? So, um, I think this is a little bit cathartic for me, just like in the, 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 the letter that I wrote that I've published, I'm putting myself out there and. Really once you get out there you're like wow what was i afraid of what was i afraid of and i think it makes me a better leader too to show some emotion and show what's behind the scenes and um so during the process of reconciling with this i knew that some of my employees would figure it out that something was up and so i proactively went to them when this all started and just i went and opened up to them i said hey i'm going through something i need your help and i want you to just know and I couldn't believe how much, you know, support I got uh, through the whole thing. So this is a story that also, again, I've thought a lot about it. So thinking about the beginning, thinking about the end, thinking about how to tell it, whereas if I were telling like a business story, those are a little more less emotional for me, less um, I'm an engineer by trade. So it would be more mathematical, you know, a happened, then B happened, then C happened. This was something that I think a lot of people can relate to. Everybody will go through something like this, either death or uh, some sort of uh, family problem at one point or another. So I found when I was telling the story to people while it was happening and afterwards, the reaction I got from even people that didn't know him that well was like so powerful. And I just kind of realized there is something that you can move people with words and you can move people by the stories you choose to tell and then how you tell it is is where the craft comes in.
0: And I think that shows a pretty advanced level of maturity on your part as a leader, because from my experience, the best leaders are vulnerable leaders. And that might be counterintuitive maybe when they're earlier in their careers, but it actually helps them make meaningful connections based on their vulnerability.
1: Yeah, showing that weakness gives people something that they theoretically could hold over you. They don't intend to, but they they know where you're weak and them knowing that allows them to trust you more because they know where they could hit you if they really wanted to, but they're not going to.
0: I would also look at it as it shows people that you recognize that you are imperfect, which in and of itself is a statement on emotional intelligence, right? That's a good way to look at it. Tell me how you've tweaked the story over time, if at all.
1: Yeah, so I I think there's a few things. I mean, obviously there's a much longer version of this with a lot more detail in it. And in order to tell it to people uh, that maybe don't know me as well or uh, just have less time, there's certain parts that are really the most important. There's two parts, one is the opening, And the other one's the closing. In thinking about this story for here today, there was a great tweet that I saw by a guy named, I think it's James Altucher. And uh, he says, how to bleed in the first line. And what this is, is this is all about really about novels, but it applies in storytelling like this, short storytelling. I saw your face when i first started with my brother died earlier this year it grabs the attention right it's just like when you're in front of your 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 people and you're talking about something at the company but that those first words really matter and they can grab people's attention and then maintain it throughout especially if they they kind of hear their hero's journey through there right you faced adversity you had a decision and then you did something and here's what happened from it so so that first line can be really powerful or that first paragraph can be really powerful And there was a great tweet that I saw that captured that. And then the ending part, I could have hung it at the point, at the emotional point where we were in the room together. And, you know, I told him I I loved him. There's certain times that that's the right ending. But if you think about a movie, typically they wouldn't end on that. They end with just a little bit of cleanup of, hey, here's the, here's what came from that quickly. And then boom, you end it. And uh, that just seems like it leaves a little less for the imagination, but it's a clean ending. And I don't know how to explain it because I'm not a, a storyteller by nature, you know, in that way uh, or haven't gotten a PhD in it. But I feel like there's something there when all the movies do the same thing like that. Now, certainly there's a time where you could leave it hanging there. And I can tell you that that's the moment that I see people's eyes tear up when I talk about right, that, those five sentences we said to each other. But there's, there's so much more to it. And so I just, I thought it was the right thing to, to add a little bit more just to clean up that you knew at the beginning he was going to die. So at the end I just say, well, Hey, we talked a few more times, here's what happened. And, uh, and everybody can kind of calm down just a little bit too, from that emotional high,
0: right. As you were saying, as you were telling the story, I can imagine that your medium post, that's probably the only sentence of the first paragraph.
1: Uh, I don't know if it is actually, cause I wrote that six months ago and in thinking about how I would do this again, it's improving the story, right? The way that I wrote the post and I, I can't even remember at this point, but it was, um, it's very different than the story I just told because I didn't get into a lot of the details. It was much higher level about who he was and, and like just connecting a bunch of dots. You'll have to read it to see, but it's totally different than the story I just told you. Cause the story I told you includes a lot of, this is what happened. In that post, I was writing it six weeks after getting the news and trying to reconcile my relationship with him. So it doesn't have a lot of this in there. In fact, there's one line that I wrote that says something like, uh, you know, I've climbed a twisted mountain of emotions and feelings, emotions and, and memories over the last period of time. I didn't say that during this story because that was a little bit of an indication into what was on the inside. But I just gave you a lot more of what really happened Uh, in the, in the verbal telling right now,
0: stepping back to look at storytelling overall, what do you think makes for a good story?
1: I think the, you know, emotion reading your audience, right? So knowing what they're interested in, um, knowing how to get their attention, the pitch you use, the kind of language that you use. Some people you have to use really flowery language. Other people you want to use more technical language, but, um, yeah, really just reading your audience and knowing how much time you've got, what their interest level is, um, making sure you've got a point uh, and it needs to be in there. And a lot of times you got to be a little more explicit about it or else people miss it. Alex Ahanian, we had him, uh, the founder of Reddit, we had him at one of our uh, uh, events about eight years ago before he became really big. Guy is just an, an incredible storyteller live. I mean, he's, he's good all other times too, but he was just awesome at, at presenting. And maybe that's presenting, but he was telling a whole series of stories and, and he was fantastic. So was, you got, that speaker has to have emotion. They have to have some sort of energy to them. And you can modulate that energy as you go through the story, but there's got to be some energy there. If you're just kind of telling it a very rote, you know, low energy, Jeb Bush style story, you're not going to be as uh, excited about sitting there and listening. You're not going to be engaged
0: and conversely i would make the point that it can't also all be very high energy yes. cuz you have to have the audience a chance to process and get ready for the next crescendo yes
1: absolutely absolutely
0: so you talked about that the story has to have a point does every story have to have a moral
1: i don't think every story has to have a moral but it depends what you're trying to do like you might be um trying to get people excited or just getting people moving in the same direction. I don't know if that necessarily has a moral, but it certainly has to have a point.
0: Okay. I like the distinction between those two. That makes sense. What advice would you give to those that want to become better storytellers?
1: So I think focus on, on the words, uh, I personally like to write stuff out at least once uh, before giving a presentation. I like to practice it. It for, by writing it down, it forces me to actually think. And, and then, uh, I like to write it down. I put it aside for a day or two. I come back to it. I read it. And I usually have forgotten what I wrote. So it gives me a chance to, to feel like I'm hearing it for the first time. And then I know how I can tweak the story. So that one is really important for me. I like also, the idea of really thinking through that first sentence. I was watching a uh, Billy Corgan talk about the first Smashing Pumpkins album and his logic for which song became first. And if you think about it, back to the old days when you had an album of music, it really mattered what the first song was. So if you think about it that way, that the first interaction, and it's still true to this day in so many other ways, the first interaction people have with you, a story... Is going to set the table for the overall mood the overall uh feeling of it and this is where that bleed the lines they go through 20 books 20 of the sort of top critically acclaimed books over the last 50 years whatever and show some of the the first paragraphs or the first two or three lines and james analyzes and shows why they're so good like putting something out there that's a fact but not you know that there's more behind the story. So I did it this time, too, on purpose, the way I started it. Like I said earlier, my brother died earlier this year. I gave you the end of the story at the beginning. I told you a rough time frame, but there's so much you don't know. Next sentence, he was 52, and I had not spoken to him in 20 years. could have said so many other things, but I focused on that because I wanted to set he was young, and it was you know un, unusual. And also, we were not friends for 20 years. And that's like, okay, wait, what's going on, right? It creates all these questions in your mind. And then the last thing I said was the last time we met face-to-face was in a lawyer's office. Again, it's like, okay, what happened? There's a lot going on there, but it also set up that it was adversarial when the last time we met was. So there was a reason for me saying it that way.
0: And it puts a ticking clock on, will you reconcile with him before he passes away? That's the first question that went through my mind. That's interesting. I I didn't intend
1: it that way, but that's kind of where the story ended up anyway. So it's uh, that's I'm glad that you took it that way.
0: Well, if you set up a good if you set up a conflict that is good for the sake of the story, people are going to want to keep listening. They're going to be engaged. Yep. All right. So you mentioned books. Do you have uh, a favorite book or a book that stands out that you've read?
1: I do. um, Alone on the Ice by David Roberts. Now, this is not because it's a literary great but because of the story that's told in there about uh, a, a trans-Antarctic adventure of three guys and how only one survived. This is like 1917, 1918. And, and the story of how this guy survives when the other two members of his party died in the, in the process of trying to... I don't know if they were going to the South Pole or if they were doing, they were doing some exploration. But the whole story is just so incredible how this guy survived and, and then just like at the very end and I don't want to spoil it, but you know, he survives, but at the very end he shows up at the camp where his other, where the, where the base camp is that people were waiting for him. And he missed the boat to get off of Antarctica for the whole winter by like two hours. In spite of all of the adversity he went through, he missed it by two hours. Boat even came back, but they couldn't get in because the ice was already forming. So he had to spend a whole winter, In Antarctica before he finally got picked up and uh just the whole it's just incredible that that whole story uh about that adventure and what this guy went through to to survive basically
0: that's crazy well that does it for us Craig Vodnik co-founder of Clever Bridge thank you for being on the show for Craig's full bio links to what we talked about and then some head over to mosspod.org Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast on. This was Moral of the Story. I'm Max Japowsky. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.